You are listening to the Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. We're looking at 40-yard dash times for some of the great receivers of all time. Larry Fitzgerald was a 4.63, Jerry Rice a 4.71, Chris Carter a 4.63, Anquan Bolden 4.7, and Chad Johnson 4.57. Uh, who else is in here? Heinz Ward a 4.5, Brandon Marshall a 4.5, Des Bryant a 4.5. So we get caught up in those measurables. Man, they could be dangerous because you can talk yourself into some player. And I mentioned John Ross. I mean, John Ross, one of the fastest players who's ever played in the NFL. Didn't mean anything. He had great speed. It was just, man, that guy's wide open. That guy who can't catch, he's wide open. Chris Sims, Pro Football Talk Live co-host, NBC Sports NFL analyst. Let's uh, start where we left off with Cooper Cup. Value-wise. Not talking about, you know, Devontae Adams' talent or DeAndre Hobbs, you know, any of that. Just value to his team. Where does Cooper Cup rank this year, in your opinion? Well, it, it's up there. First off, like, the, the talent thing's real. Like, people got to stop short, shortchanging the guy. You know, what about the talent's not real? How many how many 50-yard catches do we have to see him run by everybody where we go, you know what, he is fast. <laughs> I mean, I know he's white and he ran a 4-6 in the combine, but he's fast. Like, I mean, you know, but he, he legitimately is. And you made a great point there with some of the names you talked about. You know, again, not everybody is great or was taught the right way to run the 40. That's more times or not what happens to those guys. Now, value to the team, Dan, you know, as far as non-quarterbacks are concerned, yeah, it's up there with, you know, I think a Devontae Adams, Debo Samuel, Jonathan Taylor. You know, I think you put it in that list right there. I'd go, those are probably the three most non-important you know, important quarterbacks in football, really. And, of course, come from that, you know, Shanahan coaching tree where they know how to feature a guy. But he can do everything. You know, I don't know. Have you ever met Cooper Cup or seen him in person, Dan? No. He's bigger than you think, you know, he really is. He's six one, six two ish. You know, and of course, yes, the the quickness is real, the the smarts and evaluating coverage and all that are really good, but the talent's real too. It is, and and they know how to uh, you know, get it all out of them, that's for sure. But I want quickness over speed. Yeah, I hear you. At every position. Like I I want my running back to be quick to get to the hole. I want my lineman to be able to be quick to to get out in space. Or my wide receivers. I love quickness. Speed can take a while. And what do you do with that speed? Quickness, I can use. You're talking about yeah, yeah. You're talking about like acceleration, right? Like you know, you want you want more acceleration too out of that. Quickness important certainly. Acceleration is probably the most important thing you can talk about at times. Yes, there's no doubt about that. Hey, you can get also though like a guy like where I know I misevaluated coming out in the draft, and I always kind of call this like the Peter Warwick syndrome a little bit, like the Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, right? He's very quick, you know, but there is a speed element that misses to mm. where, hey, he makes a guy miss, he makes a guy miss, but the first guy he made miss already caught him from behind to tackle him because he's not fast enough. Mm. But, yeah, there has to be a certain blend, and I agree with you more times than not, you know, that acceleration quickness factor is probably more important than anything. You say goodbye to the Seattle Seahawks uh, playoff hopes here as if they had any real hopes there. But are we also saying goodbye to the partnership of Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson? It seems that. And again, I have no inside info here or anything like that. I'm not trying to break news, but, it, you know, again, I think you just you know look at the you know read between the lines, whatever the writing on the wall. 
it seems that way when you couple that together, what Russell said to you last year after the Super Bowl in the offseason. I know people close to the situation who also believe that's very much on his radar. How could he how could he be content with what's going on there right now? That's all I can say. I mean, either he gets out of there or he stays and maybe Pete Carroll is out of there or maybe Pete finally makes an adjustment and says, okay, hey, I'll, I'll get an offense and run an offense that you really want to run. But, you know, again, he's not playing his best football. I know that. But how many plays did we watch last night where I, I think I've had fun with you before? You know, yeah, you go straight, you go straight, and you go straight down the middle. There's <laughs> there's lack of creativity. There's lack of easy ways to get the ball into their playmakers' hands. There's issues with that offense, and I can't imagine that Russell Wilson's happy with the style of play in which they're playing with right now or even towards the end of last year. Could you see the Giants actually going all in on Russell Wilson? Because that's a I, rebuild here. You you know, I Saquon know. Barkley. You, you got some receivers. Like you have yes. some guys who are, can be good, right? Are you are you moving on from Daniel Jones? Are you going to move on from Saquon? You got to bolster the offensive. Line. Like if I'm Russ, I'm going to yeah, go. Yeah. Okay, wait a minute. Now I'm going into that situation. I know. Yeah, there there's probably better situations. Now it is New York, and you know I think there's there is a thought out there that you know he and his wife would love to be in that big market, but. Yeah, you're going to have offensive line issues. You talk about it. It's, it's, there's a lot of ifs there with New York right now. Other thing I would go is, you know, I guess I'd have to see New York actually go that route of type of quarterback. You know, they have a little bit of the, the Giants. Bill Parcells have that Belichick belief. They kind of want that traditional pocket passer quarterback. Even when I worked in New England, it really there was a, a checklist as far as what you wanted at the quarterback position as far as size and all the attributes to go along with it. So I'm not sure if I think that's a match made in heaven hmm. on either side there. You know, Dolphins are certainly one of those I'd still throw in the mix. The Broncos, as we've talked about, they're going to be in quarterbackville at the end of the year. That'd be one that I would intrigue me if I'm a quarterback. They got the receivers. The offensive line certainly got better this year. They got a pretty good running back. I mean, that would be another one that jumps out. But I don't know. That Giants one, I guess I got, you know, questions about that one, Dan. How good are the Rams? Or how about this? How dangerous are the Rams? They're dangerous as hell. I don't know how good they are. I don't know if they've played their best football as of yet. You know, you you saw the game last night. Good, not great. You know, there's just a a Super Bowl polish that's missing from them right now. You know, again, I know they've won three in a row and they've righted the ship to a degree there. Uh, it was good to see their stars pop once again on a big stage last night, the defense and offense. But you know, I'm not sure. I, I, I look at them and go, I know they're a playoff team. I know they're capable of winning a game. Maybe two. Maybe they are. Uh, but, but there's something missing about me thinking they're a legit going to win the Super Bowl or in that short list of Super Bowl teams right now. I guess I'd like to see the defense a hair more dominant and the offense just be a hair more consistent. I look at it and go, okay, yeah, they beat the Jaguars. They should have. Arizona, great win. I get it. But I think we could both sit here and go, eh, Arizona served some things up on a silver plate for them to kind of help them win that game. And then last night's ugly. So I, I guess I'm kind of waiting to see uh, what they can kind of grow into here down the stretch and, and what they can make themselves uh, as the playoffs start. But are they similar to Dallas that you have – two really good defensive players on both of those teams. And then you have offenses with offensive-minded head coaches, uh, you know, wanting to pass the ball, although they have a better running game 
with two running backs in Dallas, but uh, are there parallels between those two? I, there, there is a little bit. It's, it, it is star oriented. There's no doubt. You know, I do think, like you said, Dallas has the capability to run the ball a little bit better, which translates to football. You know, but also where, where I'll say, and again, I, I even dropped the ball on this a little bit as the season went on here. You know, you just you forget how talented that Dallas defensive line is when they're totally healthy and how deep they are. That's the thing that they have over the Rams, too. The Rams do not have that type of depth. They have to rely on guys playing a lot of snaps. Dallas, you know, they're a legitimate eight deep on the defensive line, and they can rotate and give you a lot of different combinations, let alone they can make Michael Parsons a defensive lineman at times, too. To me, with Dallas and that defensive line, it kind of puts them, okay, I'm going to say a notch above maybe the Rams in my eyes right now, even though I got questions about Dallas's offense is too simple, Dan. That's what I would tell you. You know, they're just the passing game. Simple. People want to know what's wrong with Dak. You know, again, I, he spoiled us because he was amazing early on. He's definitely not playing as hot as he was or as good as he was. Wait, explain but I also that. Look at it. Why is it yeah. simple? Well, the, the schemes themselves are simple and they can get away with it. You know, when the run game is really working and then that invites some basic coverages, hey, we got to stop the run. And now they got the one on one playmakers to make plays happen against those simple defenses. But, you know, the run game's been spotty over the last five or six weeks. So I think you couple that with Prescott not being totally on his game. And now teams are going, whoa, wait, we don't have to put all our eggs into stopping the run. We can play some coverage stuff. You know, I, I watch film with them every week, and there's just too many plays where I go, uh, the defense, they, dr they dropped. They were all over this play. They knew what was coming. They played a zone defense. There's three receivers over here, and they, could, they concocted a defense where everybody dropped right in that area where they wanted to attack. Those are the signals I start to see when I go, it's a little too simple. Defenses have caught on to kind of what you're doing here as the season went along. Talking to Chris Sims, Pro Football Talk Live co-host with Mike Florio. I thought if Brady had a good performance and the Buccaneers beat the Saints, he was going to win the MVP. He had one of his worst performances, gets shut out. Now you look at all the injuries there and yeah. feels like Aaron Rodgers is the leading candidate for the MVP. What do you think? I, 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 that's what I believe. Now, and again, I'm not like, I really was saying this for the last three weeks, even before this, this, you know, saints game and the debacle by the bucks offense to a degree. I don't think there's a, a, a player in football. That's more important to their offense right now than Aaron Rodgers. Again, there's some good players there. We know, but we, we, we can't even decide on who the second receiver is. Who is it? I don't know. Is it Valdez Scanling? Is it Lazard? You know, was it Randall Cobb? I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he just, He's he's on fire. He's playing unbelievable football. And, you know, again, with Brady, hey, I know that's a good Saints defense. But, you know, uh, what I would look at a little bit is the Bills game, being up the way they were. They let the Bills back in. Brady kind of dropped the ball about three or four series in a row where he had some open receivers to kind of put the game away. And then you see the other night again. I know Brady's awesome, but you see the inability to create anything off schedule and nights like that. And us, I would, I would put, you know, Rogers in the lead right now for, for my money. I watched the Eagles Washington game last night, at least a portion of it. I'm fascinated yeah. with Jalen hurts. I, I, yeah. I don't know. He's a weapon. I don't know if he's a great quarterback. Right. And, and, and that's, it's tricky because you have three first round draft picks. Uh, I don't know if you're going to be in on any of the quarterbacking sweepstakes, but 
Can you build around Jalen Hurts long-term? I certainly questioned that before the year. I would have been one that would have told you no. Like, no, that's not going to happen. You know, he just is too unpolished passing the football, like you said. You know, and, and I feel like there was a time there early in the year where they were doing the, you know, the round peg into the square hole thing. You know, it, it, hey, Nick Sirianni coming from the Colts and having some history, you know, with the Chargers out there. I felt like they were trying to make Jalen Hurts like Phillip Rivers in that offense. He's not that. You know, what they have done is they evaluated their team to what you're talking about and said, wait, we have this unbelievable offensive line, one of the best offensive lines in football, if not the best. And we got a quarterback who can run and do special things that way. Why don't we start to play around those strengths? And that, to me, is when hmm. they caught fire. And I, I don't know. You know, I said today on Pro Football Talk to Florio, I'm kind of getting to the point now where he's played enough and I've seen enough to where I'm going to go, go for it. I think he might be enough to where you go. He is the future. We just got to go all in kind of Lamar Jackson, Baltimore Ravens style. Maybe get one more receiver to, hey, speed sweeps and fake this and fake that. And you got Devontae Smith and Rieger and a good tight end. Maybe another running back to the mix to round out the, the stable of RBs there. But I do think you can do it. And they're dangerous, Dan. Like, I, I wouldn't want to see Philadelphia in the playoffs with that running game, chewing up a clock. Now you know your offense feels the pressure of, oh, gosh, we got to make something happen. They go three and out. They chew up the clock again. You know, they can be a real pain for somebody if they do get in. And I'm kind of hoping they do because I think they are one of the seven best in the NFC. I'll leave this uh, with you. Tom Brady spoke out on his podcast with Jim Gray that he's talked to the NFL Players Association. He wants to talk to the competition committee about these hits, these lower body hits, these around the knees hits. Um, you can't hit them in the head. Even if you go up top, you could have a glancing. Bl- I mean, it. that's right. It, and, and I said this yesterday. They like to make it seem like baseball strike zone, you know, the knees yeah, to the armpits. Yeah. That's not what the strike zone is in baseball. It's it's a circle around your belly button. That's about it. And that's where what that's where we are with football. How, how do you how how are you fair to defensive players here of what you can not. and can't do? Right. Yeah, you're right. It's not uh, the the whole sports become unfair to defensive players. You're not allowed to hit the quarterback hard anymore. You know, the horrible call we saw two nights ago with Conklin of the Vikings going down the middle of the field and he gets hit by Dean Bush, the play that Matt Nagy got the personal foul on. And I mean, he didn't, like you said, he hit him in the chest, but he does have a head connected to him and a helmet. And it, oh, maybe it grazed his helmet. Oh, no. Yes, it's, it's very tough. They've made it hard on these defensive football players. I don't know what they want them to do. Certainly wasn't a dirty hit by P.J. Williams. I understand him going low and doing that for all the reasons you said. You know, and again, this is where I want to go back to like, we all know what we signed up for and every guy going over the middle would rather be hit in the head than they would in the knees. And I wish they would just take that aspect away of like, Hey, we'll still protect the head. We don't want launching at the head, but you know, again, within reasonable contact and you're aiming to hit the chest, if the head barely hits the guy in the, in the head, okay, we're not calling it. It wasn't aimed. It wasn't a launch at the head to do that. They got to find something because, uh, you know, like Brady is saying, you tear your ACL, that's that's a big injury for a wide receiver who's, you know, in the middle of his career. Yeah, and it's unfortunate he's on the last year of his contract. And yes. it, but but I've, if I'm a defensive player and I'm trying to tackle Gronk, am I going up high? No. I got to go down low. 
And and it's unfortunate that play. It is. It is. But but I if I'm a defensive player, I don't know how how would Ronnie Lott play today? I, I know I mean, he'd be he'd go crazy. I mean, again, we're, we've taken away, you know, one of the great factors for a team that's built around defense, and that's the fear factor. You want to throw the ball over the middle, you're going to get your head knocked off. You're going to hold the ball in the pocket. We're going to knock your head off. And I don't mean that, you know, to the literal term, but you know what I'm saying? Physicality is what made some of the great defenses great in the history of the sport. I mean, my dad's Giants of 86 or the Bears of 85 or the Broncos of 2015, they wouldn't be the same if, you know, some of these rules were just egregiously in place right now. So, yes, it's a really tough spot, and I think they call way too many of these penalties uh, on defensive players right now. You're way too young to be a get-off-my-lawn guy. I know, I know, but I am because I'm I'm young, but I'm an old soul as far uh-huh. as football is concerned. Mm. And I've watched too many NFL films and watched my dad's old games to go, come on. Like, I, I want to protect players. I get that. But we've gotten to the point where if a fingernail hits a quarterback, we throw the penalty flag. You know, it's just it's gotten ridiculous here. And to me, you're you're severely handicapping some of the the better defenses in football with the way the game's getting called right now. Yeah, I could. Uh, we need to change. It's like instant replay is not instant. It's just replay and roughing yeah. the passer. Not every passer gets roughed. You know, right. But, but, you know, grazing the passer, you know, but, nothing we've called it. Nothing. The passer is the <laughs> phrase I started to use uh, a few weeks ago on PFT. It's called nothing. The passer where you just go, what? <laughs> like he just got hit hard where that's not roughing the passer, yeah. you know? And again, just too much bad offense being rewarded. Oh, quarterback throws the ball into triple coverage down the middle of the field. Receiver gets hit. And it's a penalty and a pass interference. No, it was a horrible decision by the quarterback. Quarterback. I mean, again, we're going to reward hey, the left tackle misses a block. Oh, you hit the quarterback too hard. First down offense. We don't care that you were horrible in pass protection. That's what I don't like that. That's to me where it's too uh, subjective and too much in the referee's hands right now. Thank you, Chris. You're the man, Dan. Merry Say Christmas. hi to those. Merry Christmas to all those jerks over there, too. All right. Uh, McLovin is leaving tomorrow. Tomorrow's his last show. What? Yeah. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, I'll act like I like McLovin for today. Then I'm, I'm sorry to see him go. Cause I love him a lot. He's a good dude. They're all good dudes, but you know what I mean? They're jerks and they're good dudes. It's, it's the same thing. Thank you. Chris. See you McLovin. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, nine to noon Eastern or six to nine Pacific on Fox sports radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick show at foxsportsradio.com. Or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Or stream us live on the Peacock app. There'll be games on Christmas night, or at least we think there will be, because the NBA just announced that the Brooklyn Nets at Portland Trailblazers game scheduled for tomorrow night has been postponed. The Nets do not have the league-required eight available players to proceed with the game against the Blazers. Jeff Van Gundy scheduled to be on the call on Christmas night with the Lakers and the Nets. How do you prepare for a game like this, Jeff? Uh, you don't worry about it. You just show up and whoever's there is there. And I, I don't know if it'll be the Nets, it'll be the Nets G League team, or it'll be an, a totally different NBA team. Um, it's really a, a, a tough time in the NBA right now 
for the fan because the fan is the one that ultimately uh, bears the burden of, you know, buying tickets to what they think they're going to see. And then, you know, they're not seeing some of these star players. And then you wonder going into this game, um, how much of a topic is it going to be Kyrie Irving coming back for the Nets and what role he plays the rest of the season? Well, I think on most broadcasts, initially you talked about Kyrie Irving and then that talk uh, diminished quite, quite often or for quite a period of time. But now that he's coming back um, in some form at some point, uh, I think it's going to ramp up again because I think it is an important topic. I think it goes directly to uh, their ability to win a championship. I think what's even more interesting is not the ro- uh, the regular season schedule that he'll undertake. It's the playoff schedule. So if they're going to get, what if they get into a series that's two, two, he, he's not playing on the road and uh, you know, he's not playing in game five at home. I mean, that's, it's really uh, a challenging decision that they made. I know a lot of people have had opinions uh, on on their decision to change their minds, but I think that's man's greatest right, is the right to change your mind. All of them have decided this course of action is prudent. So I think, you know, the team will benefit and the fans will benefit. Would you want him back if you were coaching the Nets? No. Nope. Uh, not not him either. It's not him. It's not even his decision. It's just uh, I'd want to play with an every night lineup that I could count on, and particularly going into the playoffs. Uh, now, if he is was or any player was still up in the air that I'm going to think about it more, I may do it for the playoffs. That might change my mind uh, certainly. But I just wouldn't want the up-and-down situation. Now, that being said, Dan, I understand they're trying to get talent on the floor. You know, these – like the Lakers you saw last night, they don't have enough talent on the floor right now uh, to play at the highest level. Uh, the Nets, if they're down either Harden or Durant, they may not have enough talent on the floor to play against the very best. So I understand uh, why they're doing it. I watched the Lakers last night, at least uh, uh, a little bit of the first half, most of the first half, and Russell Westbrook is not changing. He is who he is. He's fascinating, but, man, can he be detrimental to a team? He just doesn't take care of the ball, Jeff. So what do you, I, don't, I don't know what you do with a guy who is supposed to be one of your stars. You can't change him at this point in his career. So you just sort of live and die with the highs and lows you're going to get with him? Yes, and I think you have to have known that when you traded for Westbrook. Uh, people of his at his age, they're not going to change greatly. So whatever issues you might have with him, whether it's the turnovers or sometimes the, the defensive end of the floor uh, or the lack of range shooting, whatever it is that you had a problem with, uh, as you were thinking about trading for him, you have to understand that you have to take the whole package with somebody and not just be able to pick and choose what you like and try to separate it from what you don't like. And I think um, what you just said, the most astute general managers understand is that you have to accept the whole package and you have to think 
that that package in the playoffs give you a better chance to win than the players you had. Now, at the core of it, it has nothing to do with whether they're better with Westbrook or without him. It comes down to with their reduced depth that they had to strip their team down to get him, did that benefit them? And I would say so far this year, that lack of depth, um, particularly in the COVID era, uh, in the Anthony Davis, uh, LeBron James, uh, not being as available as a, you know, particularly for LeBron James, I think that depth problem has shown up to be a significant one. Talking to Jeff Van Gundy, he'll be on the call, the Nets and the Lakers, 8 Eastern on Christmas Day, first meeting of the season, and uh, the NBA Finals broadcast team of Mike Breen, Jeff and Mark Jackson, along with sideline reporter Lisa Salters. There was reaction, reaction that went viral last night, as they like to say. Kenny Smith said that uh, LeBron, LeBron James was being disrespectful by smoking a cigar coming in prior to last night's game. And I mentioned that Michael Jordan would smoke a cigar on the loading dock at Chicago Stadium and wait for the team bus to come in. I don't know if he was being disrespectful, but feels like LeBron uh, was being disrespectful by smoking a cigar prior to the game. Your thoughts, Jeff? Well, I didn't know that. Um, I Again, this is a totally different era. Uh, from sens- Sensitivities are different now. Um, and the whole social media outrage, you know, it's, a, it's an era of outrage. And so um, I'm not sure what the standard is for viral. I could care less about the clothes people uh, wear to the game. Uh, do I think it was a great choice? No, nah, I, I wouldn't say it was a great choice, but do I actually care? No, I don't. Like the, what I love about the NBA is watching LeBron James play. Like that's what I love watching uh, about LeBron James. I could really care less how he walks into the arena, even though I think, you know, I don't know if he would say it was a poor choice. I, I'm just saying I don't think it's the wisest choice, but um, it's a big who cares for me. Was Jordan ever waiting for the Knicks bus on the loading dock when you were there? No, but, I, uh, uh, you know, the legend uh, of Jordan – uh, obviously these stories, particularly as we all get older, um, they grow. Uh, but I, I would say this, if he was there, we would have had some guys that would be interested in that conversation, <laughs> you know? So it, yeah, actually, you know what? I miss the confrontational NBA, like some of the things, you know, the whole the Bradford Smith story when, uh, you know, <laughs> Bradford Smith lit him up in, uh, uh, Chicago Stadium, and then they were playing a back-to-back the next night in Washington, and I guess LeBradford Smith either said something or perceived to said something, and then George. I mean, I miss those stories. Like, um, I, I like the the rivalries and a little bit of the yeah. But you know, Chris Webber Chris Weber tells the story: the Bullets were going to play the Bulls in the playoffs, and Jordan is leaning on his Lamborghini or Ferrari. And the team bus comes in, and he says, which one of you MFers is going to be covering me? And it was poor Calbert Chaney. And he, you know, he put up 50 or something. But 
Weber said Mike is there smoking a cigar waiting for the Bullets, <laughs> Bullets team bus to show up. Nice job by the Bullets, by the way, of pointing to the back. Really had, having Calvert Cheney back. I got I to gotta talk to my man, Juwan Howard, about that, too. <laughs> Who wasn't afraid of Jordan on your team? Um, I, I don't think, you know. And maybe afraid is not a fair word, but yeah, like least Listen, intimidated. We all had, here's the thing. We all had an incredible respect for him, um, you know, from coaches all the way through the players. And I think uh, sometimes, you know, when you respect somebody so much, you have to ask yourself, am I willing to go as hard at him as I would, you know, someone else? Um, am I willing to put him down? on the floor with a hard foul as I would some other random NBA guy. And I think, you know, as an NBA player back then, you had to ask yourself that because he held such sway and was, you know, obviously beloved throughout the basketball world as a player, a competitor, and like things that would be looked down upon today. um, He would, you know, be marveled at for back then. So I think you had to check, but I think we had, I think the one thing the Knicks did a good job of is they they brought in players that, while having an appropriate respect for players, uh, you know, we had some guys with some irrational confidence. Like, <laughs> I'm going to bust his ass tonight, you know? like, and, and that's why, like, I liked our team because, you know, um, you know, they were they – they weren't a back-down group of guys. But, you know, you got to be careful what you ask for, too. So as the coach, do you ever try to, you know, tamp it down a little bit? Like, you know, uh, hey, Anthony Mason, he's up there. You know, you're not you're not the one who's going to be guarding Mike. Well, no, actually, you, it was just, you know, I think you have to, like, you have to try to combine the humility um, with, you know, appropriate levels of confidence. And if you can't be in the NBA Think about it. Anthony Mason, if he would have had, uh, you know, if he would have gone by what everybody else's evaluation, he might not have ever made the NBA. If he didn't have that healthy or irrational confidence, and he, he truly, when he went on the floor every night, he thought, uh, like, well, I'm the best player on the floor. I don't know who's number two, three, four, five, <laughs> but I'm, I'm the dude. And you know what? I think you have to have some of that irrational confidence to survive all the critiques and criticisms. Um, and it's just so hard to stay there. Uh, you think about it. This guy was like Tennessee state couldn't shoot with range. Um, but he developed into a, a terrific NBA player an all-star because of work and self-belief. It's always great to catch up with you. You, you look like a mob boss there with the, the background, the way, you know, you're, you're seated there like a Sopranos episode. Well, I know where the bodies are buried, oh, Dan. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's what the mothership teaches you. Bury the bodies. But don't talk about where you bury no. the bodies. No. Not, no, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Uh, have fun on Christmas night. Merry Christmas. Thank you for uh, joining us, Jeff, as always. Merry Christmas. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live on the Peacock app. 
Hey, I'm Doug Gottlieb. The podcast is called All Ball. We usually talk all basketball all the time, but it's more about the stories about what made these people love their sport and all the interesting interactions along the way. We talk to coaches. We talk to players. We tell you stories. You download it. You listen to it. I think you'll like it. Listen to All Ball with Doug Gottlieb on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Steve Palazzolo, the uh, co-host, Pro Football Focus, the NFL podcast. You can uh, check out the podcast and go to profootballfocus.com. Their uh, sale going on on Elite Subscriptions, a great gift for the holiday season. And uh, the promo code is Elite up there to take advantage of that. Steve joins us now. Steve, uh, you do this for a living where you're grading players and looking at all the film. Uh, what kind of season is Matthew Stafford having right now? Uh, this is great. This was uh, the season that I predicted for him. Uh, I thought I was going to lose it for a while, but my prediction was he was going to grade in our system in a similar manner as he did in previous seasons, which for us was low 80s, uh, which is good, very good quarterback. But I predicted that his uh, production would be a lot better in that system with uh, with the great receivers that he have. I didn't know Cooper Cup was going to be as good as he's been this year, but I figured the system and the supporting cast would would increase Stafford's production. And I think we're seeing that. Stafford has been good this season. Had a couple of those rough games in the middle, the turnovers, uh, the Sunday night football game against Tennessee. But overall, Stafford has uh, he's made some big plays. He's missed a few open throws, had some turnover-worthy throws, but I think these last few weeks we're seeing the big-time throws that they got him for, right? The 50-yarder a couple weeks ago to Van Jefferson, uh, special throws into tight coverage. So overall, I think Stafford is having one of the better years of his career, but not as good as maybe the he's all a passer rating of 108 and you know most productive passing offense in the league. I don't think he's been that good, but he's been good, and the supporting cast has helped elevate his game even further. Is he a top-10 quarterback this year? Uh, yeah, we have him at number seven overall as a passer. So, yeah, he's he's in that top – he's definitely in that top ten range right now, especially in a year where there hasn't really been – there hasn't really been elite quarterback play across the NFL. Nobody's really standing out. So, Stafford's got the – they've got the best passing production in the league, and he's at number seven in our passing grade so far this year. Now, Rodgers has been pretty elite. Yeah, I think, I think people are forgetting a couple of Rodgers games in here because – uh, week one, he had that game against the Saints where he was terrible. They lost 38 to three. It was, I mean, it was pretty much the same thing we just saw from Tom Brady the other night. It just happened, you know, months ago. So I think people forget it. And honestly, the game they won 17 to nothing against the Seattle Seahawks. He was just as bad through an end zone interception. He was, they, he was not good in that particular game. So Rodgers has had a few duds and he has not been, I don't think, as good throw for throw as he was last year in that MVP season. Yeah, but 30 touchdowns, four interceptions. That's an off year. No, I get it. He also has 12 turnover-worthy plays because, again, we track this stuff. So he's got far, but he's usually he's look. He's one of the best in the league. Wait, wait. As it, far explain as making, that, Steve. Turnover-worthy. Yeah. So we're we're grading every player in every play. So we're going in there and saying if you misread the play and throw the ball two-way linebacker, say uh, whether or not the linebacker catches the ball, it's a bad play, right? If it's caught, it's an interception. If it's not, it's the same bad play. So Rodgers has gotten away with a few of those plays this year more than usual. He's still one of the best at taking care of the ball. But that's why I don't always look directly at touchdown to interception ratio because in this particular case, Rogers interception totals, uh, it's lying a little bit this year, I think, compared to previous seasons. I don't know what to make of Jalen Hurts. I find him a, a valuable weapon, and, yeah. but I, I don't know, unless Philadelphia embraces him like Baltimore did with Lamar Jackson, 
then it, it feels like that question is always going to loom there with him. Is he the right quarterback, franchise quarterback? How do you grade Jalen Hurts? Because it's it what he gives you is not normal from quarter you know quarterback's perspective. Yeah, you know, I think it took them a few weeks to figure out they need to play this style of football. And, and now that style of football being this team that can run for 150, 200 yards every single week and use Jalen Hurts in the design running game. They had games earlier this year where it was just throw, throw, throw. And look, I'm, I'm a past game enthusiast. I love that. But when you have a Jalen Hurts, a run, a, a quarterback who brings value in the design running game, um, is it's tough to defend. And I think you see a game like last night where Jalen Hurts is used in the design run game. It opens things up for the running backs. You run play action off of that. You can win with that in this in the NFL, right? You can do that. And then this, what do you make of Jalen Hurts? The tough part's going to be, do you want to sign him long-term, right? Has he done enough there? I think he's good on a rookie contract, right? You could do some cool stuff on a rookie contract, building this great roster around him. Don't necessarily know if I want to lock him up long-term. Mm-hmm. We're still a little over a year into his career. So, Hey, he can improve. So in other words, he's a, he's a good enough passer and in playing that style opens up throws. Uh, Lamar Jackson has more open throws than other quarterbacks because the defense has to account for him and that rushing attack. And it creates open receivers. Jalen hurts brings that to the table as well. So you can mitigate some of the maybe lack of polish in the pocket that Jalen hurts has. Is Carson Wentz a positive or a negative for the Colts? Can I say neutral? He's neutral. I mean, he's a he's a league average quarterback, and he has for a while. I think he's been more positive than negative this year, though. He's generally taking care of the ball. Um, he did not take care of the ball on Saturday night against the Patriots. He was uh, pretty bad in that game, and they they got away with it. But overall, uh, you take away the the game in the with the river rain, you know, in on Sunday night football against the Niners. Carson Wentz has done a really nice job of taking care of the ball, and and when you do that, when you have the Colts offensive line and Jonathan Taylor, you can win some games, right? And they've scored a ton of points. They've got Michael Pittman emerging. Wentz does get the ball to him pretty well. So I think it's been more positive than negative, but I don't think Wentz is out there carrying the team or anything like he did, say, in 2017. Yeah, but when you say, boy, he takes care of the ball, that doesn't have a franchise quarterback sound to it. Should the Colts be in the market for another quarterback, an upgrade? Yeah, I, I don't know how they're, they're going to be challenged with that contract and everything, but I'm I'm generally of the mind, unless you have one of, say, the top eight quarterbacks in the league and, and defining those probably harder than ever, harder than it was, you know, five or six years ago. If you don't have one of those guys, I think you're always in the market because, yeah, you want a guy that can elevate those around you, not do what I just described, taking care of the ball and relying on everyone else to kind of carry you. The Seahawks offense is not good because what, why, who? They have uh, Shane Waldron's the new offensive coordinator, and they just they've been early in the season. They were a little top heavy. Russ, Russ makes those special throws down the field a couple times a game. Overall, it looks efficient. They're just play by play. They're not. It's it's the intermediate level of the field that they're not attacking. So I think there's a little bit of play calling. There's a little bit of Russell Wilson in there. That 10 to 19 yard range in this new offense just has been non-existent. So it's been a bunch of short passes. Russ hits a couple bombs over the top, and then you have a game like last night when he doesn't hit those bombs. This offense is terrible. Um, so it's it's just too – there's not enough high-percentage quality plays in this offense, and I think that's a combination of uh, Shane Waldron as offensive coordinator, this new system just not meshing with Russell Wilson's skill set, and plus Russell Wilson's just not playing nearly as well as he did for the majority of last year, 2018, the rest of his career, uh, whether that's partly the finger injury we're just not seeing the same Russell Wilson for the most part this season. 
How do you rank rate Cooper Cup's season? Man, it's a, it's incredible. I mean, I think, you know, he's he's got that triple crown of receptions and yards and touchdowns and everything, but um, he is just, he's good at everything, right? I mean, he's great after the catch. He's good at getting open against man coverage. He's got a great feel for zone. Him and Matthew Stafford have just had an incredible connection as far as being on the same page. So Cup's been the best. He's the best receiver in the league this year. And But if, uh, if somebody I, hadn't seen Cooper Cup play, how would yeah. you describe him? I would say he's like the he's an uber slot receiver who took his game from gets open underneath and you know has a good feel for the game. He's taken his game to the next level where you can't leave him one on one, and he can win at every level of the field like the best receivers can. Um, and then the Rams put him in good position to succeed as well. So very good all around receiver, does everything well, sure handed, great after the catch, great big plays. But. Is he Devontae Adams category? Is he a healthy DeAndre Hopkins category? Or, you know, there, there's quite a few great receivers, but Cooper Cup is is having one of the greatest seasons of all time. I, I think he's a step below those guys because you, you do have a built-in advantage when you're in the slot, right? So, and that's where he does most of his work. Um, I don't think you just drop Cooper Cup into Green Bay's offense and say, hey, go beat Devontae Adams, right? Go beat... Uh, man coverage as often as you do. So he's a step below those true outside X receivers, but it's one of the best slot receiver seasons of all time, which is, you know, technically a little bit easier, but at this level of production, you know, Cooper Cup, it's definitely a special season. Uh, I see what you said, you know, step, a step below here comes down to 40 yard dash time. I see what you're doing, Steve. <laughs> it's all, I'm just a speed guy. Give me all the, give me all the fast guys. Is Lamar Jackson improving? No, he's not. Uh, earlier this season, I may have said yes, but the last few weeks, you know, prior to his injury were, were pretty bad. And it was um, a lot of decision-making stuff, right? It was uh, a lot of just him throwing into coverage. And uh, the curious part here is I think he's got his best group of playmakers that he's had in his entire career, you know, with Marquise Brown breaking out with Rashad Bateman there with Sammy Watkins and, and what Mark Andrews, Mark Andrews continuing to take his game to the next level. This should have been not maybe the best statistical season for Lamar because it's you know, MVP season was great, but this should have been a much better season for Lamar Jackson. And I think the last few weeks, he's uh, he's taken a step back in his development where he's just not seeing the field very well. The Packers, Chiefs, grayed out as the two best teams right now? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think trending-wise, too, you know, the, the Chiefs defense, um, I think they went on a run. I don't, I still don't know that they're necessarily championship caliber. I think the Chiefs offense has shown flashes of being what they were before, but they will... Uh, they're not exactly where they were, but it's dangerous enough. And I think the Packers, part of the intrigue with the Packers is maybe David Bakhtiari is going to come back. Maybe, you know, Jair Alexander is going to come back at some point. The Packers last year, I think, were very reliant on just Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams and Jair, like the top-heavy roster. They're able to win in other ways now. With guys like Rasul Douglas and Devontae Campbell stepping up on defense. So love the way the Packers are trending and they're getting other good players back. So, yeah, I think the top two seeds, Packers and Chiefs, are the two best teams in the NFL right now. Thank you, Steve, as always. Merry Christmas. Thanks for joining us. My best to everybody at Pro Football Focus. Thank you, Dan. Merry Christmas to you and all the viewers.